Welcome back to Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and you know, the Zoma Pausa is just about finished. It's time to resume normal Talking Fußball programming. Well, not really fully normal. There haven't been any real games yet, but there's a lot of previewing to do, a lot to chew on in the Bundesliga. And what better masticator could I find than my old pal, Terry DeFellin, on the line from Greater London's southern borderlands. It's really, really great, brilliant even, to have you along. I'm sorry, the line went a bit wrong wrong there. Did you say masticator? Water, did you say? Oh, I think you know very well what I said, TD. I was going to say, you don't have a camera in my room, do you, by any chance? No, but you do, and I can see you right now. Indeed, indeed, and my hands firmly above the table. It's uh, it's good to be back, and it's great to see you again, Chief. How have you been? Super, super. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about the world now that I can see a new Bundesliga season Amen. starting to emerge in the middle distance. Okay, on this podcast, we are going to be taking our first steps towards previewing the new season. We'll have another look at the Super Cup and where that leaves the title race in the coming season. We'll be running through a few of the new faces, folks who could play big roles at new clubs, players, coaches, etc., as well as talk about an old face in the league whose time, it's pretty clear, has come and gone. So don't go away. We'll be back in a jiffy. All right, it is now time to dig into Talking Foosball for the week. Let's get started with part one. This is, uh, you know, usually the part where we go in-depth on the storylines coming out of the biggest games of the Bundesliga match day. So this week we're going to serve up the best that we can muster. No Bundesliga, but there was, you know, Germany's most important preseason friendly, the DFL Super Cup. Am am I kind of selling this game short? Terry, what would you have given to be part of the assembled masses in downtown Dortmund on Sunday when Lucien Favre held the trophy aloft on stage? Would your presence have made the applause for that action just a little bit less wan? I think I I would have made some kind of a meaningful contribution Uh, had I been there. I think I would have probably drunk some beer and uh, got involved in some celebrating. Um, It's not a... It is a trophy, and also it is a trophy that when you watch the players playing, uh, they appear to want to win this trophy. It's the kind of thing, I think, that gives players some freedom, because they go, if we win this trophy, it's great. We get ticker tape, we get to lift silverware, we get to jump around, we get to maybe play a bit of Queen, we are the champions, and all of that stuff. But if we lose, no one's going to bollock us. So, you know, it's a kind of a a nice, comfortable, low stakes, but tremendous fun game to win. Not that much of a big deal to lose because the results don't usually, I would say, have any kind of bearing on what kind of season that you're likely to have. Yeah, I mean, do remember last season, what happened? Exactly. You know, it, yeah. <laughs> where we saw Frankfurt absolutely get destroyed yeah, and, and then have a great season. And although Bayern won the title, they needed to take it to the final day of the season to do it and encountered a few crises along the way while they were doing it. Go think back to 2014 and Dortmund beat Bayern in the Super Cup and then were in the relegation zone by Christmas. So it's not a, it's not a, a, a portent for a, the future season, but certainly you can gauge what kind of season the team's going to have by the performance, perhaps. And maybe maybe there's some fun to be had in looking at the way both teams played, um, uh, Bayern and, and, and Dortmund. Obviously, as you know, as, ever, as the listeners know, Dortmund won the game 2-0. But I think that Dortmund will probably be a lot happier also with the with the way they, they went about the game. And I think Bayern might be looking at it and thinking there's still some work that needs doing. Yeah, yeah. I think we should probably take on both of those aspects. I mean, there were probably pluses and minuses on both sides. But I think that, you know, the, the, the overwhelming preponderance of, of plus was on the, the Dortmund side. Mostly, and I, maybe not mostly, but uh, number one among them, was the performance of of Jaden Sancho, who wasn't necessarily at the center of all things throughout the game. Perhaps maybe that's not really his role as a player, being, you know, a guy who who spends a lot of time out wide. But he just made a huge impact on this game. I mean, he he had an assist for the first goal. He finished the second goal. This was a player who went from being a sort of fringe player for Dortmund uh, at the beginning of last season to by the end of the season being unrivaled 
in terms of his impact at that club and being in the conversation for player of the season. I mean, are there still levels for him to go up to? And and if there are, can he reach them this season? Well, whether he can reach them this season will depend an awful lot on, on how much luck he gets and how well his teammates play around him and how much they, they help him and if he stays healthy. And um, I think at 19 years old, you're always going to uh, hope that there's more to come from a player of that age. Although he has come on exceptionally uh, well and exceptionally quickly I think instinctively you watch him play and he does drift in and out of games and youngsters can do that but I mean he has developed an ability to be able to make a telling contribution at times I suppose the big areas where you're looking at is his all-round contribution but as you say Matt that may require him moving into a different part of the field it may require him taking different instructions from his coach it might well be that his coach is happy for him to just you know do his thing and, you know, allow maybe some of the other players to do a little bit more of the heavy lifting. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 there, there is almost certainly more to come. But yeah, whether we'll see it this year, who knows? It couldn't have made a, a, a better start, frankly. One glorious assist and one superb goal. But you're right. I mean, in other respects, it was quite a modest performance, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I don't want to go too deep into this particular aspect because I don't want to, you know, sort of poke the bear that is by Iron Dortmund fan animosities about what's fair and what's going on and who's 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 in a conspiracy against whom in, in the DFL. But, you know, the more Jaden Sancho does his thing, as you say, which involves a lot of making other players look bad, the more he might well find himself on the end of some rough play, both on the pitch from some defenders. And, you know, as we saw in this in this Super Cup, even off the pitch, even, you know, retrieving a ball that was, you know, it, it was a Bayern ball, it was a Bayern throw in, so he didn't necessarily need to even be on the ball. But, you know, the way that Joshua Kimmich went in on him, which Kimmich swears was inadvertent, but I am not so sure about that. And I, I think, mm. especially in a game of this relatively small magnitude. I, I think it was a bit of a shame that the referee was not willing to just send him off because mm. getting hurt in the Super Cup is, is something that no one wants to have happen. And and anybody who does anything rough in a game like this should probably be told to knock it off. Yeah. Anyway, leaving all that fairness stuff aside, I mean, Jaden Sancho is going to get fouled a lot in this season to come. Yeah. And to me, probably the only thing that's standing in the way of him and an absolutely imperious season in the Bundesliga is getting hurt and maybe getting hurt because of a tackle or a challenge. Yeah. Or, or getting sent off because he's not handling the attention uh, in, in the way that probably he, he should do. He needs to stay frosty and professional and know that this is going to be the kind of treatment that he's going to get and know that there'll be days when he gets zero protection from the referee and there'll be days where he does get some protection and he needs to be able to sort of like manage that. And that's not easy for a young player, so his temperament's going to get tested as well. I'm sure that Kimmich tackle was, again, I don't think there's anything conspiratorial about this. I think this is perfectly fair. I think that Kimmich's probably laying down a bit of a marker, perhaps even, you know, a physical one, you know, by saying, you know, you know, you will, you and I are going to meet again at least twice this season, and I'm not going to give you an easy go of it. And here, and just to demonstrate what, what it's going to be like, have some of that. I mean, you know, this, that is professional football. That is, that is the game. I mean, it's not a particularly attractive side of it, but it is very much part of the game. And Sancho does need to be able to manage that. But he'll have weapons of his own that he can fight them with, his prodigious talent. But also, you know, he might maybe, you know, some... You know, I think I'm all in favour of, of, of attacking players, learning chicanery and dark arts when they're being kicked up in the air. I'm all, I'm all for that because it's all part of it. I mean, if you're going to get kicked, then you do need to be able to, you know, demonstrate to the referee that you're being kicked. And if that means being a little bit more theatrical and, you know, then, you know, I'm all for that. I don't think that that's, uh, that, that's necessarily a, a, a bad thing, although it can be irritating to watch. I'm just going to listen to what you just said there and I'm going to say amen because <laughs> I have no time for the people who get to get worked up about, uh, you know, attackers who get, you know, whacked diving. I think it's, <laughs> they're well within their rights. Okay. Now, now, now leaving, you know, some of that stuff aside and leaving aside the fact that, you know, both of these teams in a lot of ways left a certain bit of their powder dry. I mean, 
some of the new faces on both of these teams either didn't play or only played a fairly small role. So it's not necessarily fair to say that we saw everything that these teams are going to be as the season develops. However, one thing that did stand out about Bayern was that they seem to have a bit of a problem with, I don't know, giveaway situations. Because both of those goals, one was a giveaway at midfield, which, you know, pretty quickly got away from them and and turned into a scoring chance for Dortmund, which Dortmund converted. And then, you know, the the second one was more of a traditional counter, which was a, a giveaway off of a, I don't know, sort of a, a busted Bayern attack in, in the, the, the Dortmund final third, which Dortmund, through their speed and through their, you know, sort of practiced movements going up the pitch, were again able to turn into a good scoring chance, with the, which they uh, converted. I mean, obviously, not every team has the players who either in terms of speed or, you know, technical ability is going to be able to sort of pounce on those kinds of mistakes by a a team like Bayern. I mean, you know, (laughs) I think if there's a giveaway against Union or Paderborn, they might not get a shot off. But there are going to be teams who can can really, really hurt Bayern if they can get into those sort of counter-pressing, like, you know, when you turn over the ball, that's... For many coaches' money, the best time to start an attack, the best time to sort of, you know, pressure a team because they're not set and they don't have any defensive shape. They don't have uh, a sort of good mind on who's covering whom. And good things can happen if you attack quickly in those situations. And and to my mind, that's going to be a real problem if Bayern can't fix that. Yeah, and it's not an easy thing to to, to fix. I mean, we talked about how... You know, chicanery is part of the game. Turnovers are part of the game as well. Losing possession is a massive part of football. The best teams do it as well. But as you say, it's how you manage to get the ball back, or whether you can get the ball back, and how quickly, or how little damage is done when you when, when you when you do lose out to a turnover, when you do give the ball away. Teams at Bayern's level, they certainly should have preparations involved for when they do lose the ball and what they do and how they get the ball back. And as you say, ninety-five percent of the time, I imagine those preparations probably come off quite nicely but you're right it did look like they were a little bit short you know as for the actual turnovers themselves you know I mean Abel Mezeros said in one of his recent podcasts our mutual friend Abel Mm -hmm. did point out Thiago's uncharacteristic mistake but also wisely pointed out that he was being left fairly isolated there and this does suggest that there's that there's some kind of systemic problem at the moment with Bayern where they're not they're not they're not ready to help out teammates they're not ready to step in regain possession or or try and stop possession from being given away in the first place you know all this all these uh, lovely modern phrases that you hear like cover shadowing and gegen pressing and passing blocking passing lanes and stuff all that good stuff all that necessary stuff for for not necessarily um you know, preventing possession being lost, but being ready for when, you know, that moment comes or when somebody gives the ball away, you know, all of that good stuff there, they did, they didn't seem quite on it at that point. Um, whether or not that's just simply because they just, it's, they, they haven't had that many preseason matches. They've not had a great deal of time to prepare. And so maybe there's a little bit of that going on. So perhaps buying will need a few games to get started. Uh, I think they have uh, broader problems as well. But yeah, um, we'll, we'll only know whether or not this is a genuine systemic issue for Bayern after a few more games, I guess. Yeah, well, they're welcome to take that first game of the season off. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that that would be a really good outcome, just sort of treat it like a practice match. I don't know why you'd say it's, that. It's probably the safest <laughs> option. Going on in the background of all this um, Bayern preparation, as is so often the case with a club of this caliber who wants to win and who has money to spend, et cetera, et cetera, there's a lot of transfer chatter going on. You know, they have been working on trying to convince Leroy Sané from uh, Manchester City, who, of course, you know, picked up a bit of a knock in the charity shield, but nonetheless, he, he may or may not be a... Uh, headed down to Munich. In recent days, I've read things to the effect that they're looking at uh, Hakim Ziyech from Ajax, who I think would be a a spectacular uh, pickup, considering he kind of does pretty much everything you want from a sort of attacking wide player these days, as well as defensive work. And somewhat less of a good idea, I think, uh, Gareth Bale being mooted, you know, the sort of (laughs) 
will he or won't he even play football this season? He doesn't do a lot of those extra things besides score goals sometimes. Do you take any of this stuff seriously? I mean, obviously, Leroy Sané has been on the table for such a long time that I do take it seriously. I mean, maybe these, the stuff about Ziesh and Bale are just being put out there to try and hurry up, you know, Sané's camp or, or City's side of things, considering, at least on a, a certain vague sense, those players might be slotted into similar places and, and have some similar skill sets. But even getting back to, like, what is on the table here, I mean, Lewandowski, Robert Lewandowski, of course, uh, he, he have another ill-advised challenge uh, over the weekend. He's said, you know, this season, as well as many other seasons in past years, he thinks Bayern needs to step up their game when it comes to, you know, spending some money on on players. Do you think that's really the issue for Bayern? Or do you think that they might need to sort of look elsewhere if they want to sort of get back to bossing the Bundesliga like they, they, they had in the last few years? Well, if you look at the squad, they've got 21 players. If they do get Sonny, and they may well get Sonny, there does seem to be an awful lot in that that story so we have to believe that it's that it's something that that they that, that is probably close to happening it may and in and may happen but then again may not but still with if you want to go if you want to win the Bundesliga which I'm assuming is kind of a given for Bayern Munich and you want to go certainly go very deep in the DFB Pokal and equally very deep in the Champions League you probably might need more than 21, 22 players. The other thing, of course, is Lewandowski himself. And I think that maybe there's a degree of self-motivation from Lewandowski. I mean, he's reaching a, perhaps reaching a point in his career where he might be thinking, you know, I might need to have a few less minutes if I want to prolong my career a little bit more. And really, he is not their primary source. Of, not He's not their sole source of goals, but he is their primary source of goals. You know, if he has an injury for five or six games, a suspension, or even if he just loses form for some reason, and it does happen, it's unlikely with Lewandowski because he's a consummate player. He's the kind of guy who, if he stopped finding ways of certain ways of putting the ball in the back of the net, he'd just find alternative ways of putting the ball in the back of the net. One thing that he is expert at doing is getting the ball and putting it in the back of the net. But if he was to be out of the game for whatever reason, um, Bayern would really struggle to replace those goals. And they're not necessarily going to get them from you know the, the, the names that are being mentioned now, unless <laughs> rather fancifully they do get by Gareth Bale and they perhaps decide to play him in more of a of a central role. But he he doesn't do anything like that, as you say that in that, that kind of work that those other players do. And besides, it's just that just seems very fanciful. I know Bayern did get James Rodriguez from Real Madrid. They do have a relationship. I know that there's possible a deal could be done along those lines. But um, it, it, it just doesn't seem like a fit for me. I can't see him wearing that shirt. And uh, I'm not certain that he just has the industry that he would need in the Bundesliga. I'm being completely honest. I would love to see him struggle with his German. <laughs> if, he, if he even gave it a try, you know, considering his history in Spain and, and you know, the, 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 the chatter that comes out saying that he, you know, basically never really gave, yeah. it a, gave it a proper go. But, I mean, it is a bit funny because I think Robert Lewandowski is one of the most consistent scorers in world football. I mean, over the last, you know, six or seven years, it's, it's crazy. But you do make a good point that he's not the kind of player who takes it all that well when he's not in the side. I mean, there's been various times where he has overlapped with other strikers, generally strikers of, of much, much lower caliber to him. I mean, the, the Zandro Wagners of the world, etc. Where, you know, if his coach decides to rest him for a game against Darmstadt or a game against, you know... Uh, I don't know, Hanover or whatever, a team who basically doesn't have a ghost of a chance of beating Bayern, you know, he has been known to complain about not getting a start against a team that they do not need him for and that he could probably stand a rest for. I mean, I find him, while he's an incredibly consistent on-field presence who really, really brings the goods, he is also consistently a really difficult guy to deal with when it comes to the way he he talks to the press at times. I mean, his agent, of course, is famously sort of loquacious when it comes to, to trying to sell him to other teams, which it seems like he's helped 
get that under control in the last couple of seasons. But now he cannot stop talking about how many players Bayern needs to buy or when they do buy another striker, how it bums him out that he isn't playing. I mean, I think you're right that another pure striker or another, you know, goal scorer is is a very good idea for them to to cultivate. I don't know who that target should be because Let's face it, those things are not in great supply. But you look at all the sort of, I, I hesitate to say dead wood, but older wood that they stripped off of, of, of the trunk, which is to say Ribery, Robin, Mats Hummels, uh, Rafinha, James, guys who sort of either were getting up in years or who, who were sort of not exactly everyday players. I think they could stand by another couple of guys. I mean, Hernandez is a good pickup. Pavar is a good pickup. I think that they, you know, have been smart about who they've bought, but I I, I gotta give him a little bit of credit, Lewandowski. I, I think I, I think Bayern do need to buy another player or two, and, and Sane is probably not the last of it. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just a question of who and how much time do they have. Modern transfers now take forever to process and their money's involved are pretty fantastic. Bayern are a super club in terms of and I I don't mean they're a super club, they're a super club, yeah. um, in that they've got stacks of money and prestige. So they probably are in a position where they could perhaps compete, you know, uh, for, you know, big 100 billion, 150 million transfers. But they have been reticent to sort of like get involved in that market. And it might well be something that they might need to start thinking about going forward. Uli Hernes obviously is stepping down soon, but we know there's going to be a, a bit of a change of the guard at Bayern. Might well be that in the future, in the nearish future, uh, they might start loosening the purse strings a little bit and maybe being a bit, uh, bit sort of like maybe do what they did in uh, 2007 and go out and, and get Ribéry, get Luca Toni, get closer. You know, make a big splash in the transfer market because they kind of knew that they were losing a bit of ground. And it just sort of strikes me a little bit like that, that they're kind of not so much an end of empire because Bayern, I think, will always be in, in the equation. But this squad probably needs some kind of managed decline without actually losing out on trophies and stuff like that. Um, I don't know about you, but I'd probably put them second favourites to win the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. We're getting into this now. Objectively, objectively, subjectively, probably not. <laughs> but um, objectively, I, th- I think that Dortmund may well improve this season, and in which case, and I, I, I'm not certain that Bayern are ready to improve. And so I think there's an excellent chance of Dortmund taking over. Obviously, the Bundesliga is as much psychological as it is about playing the football and in a Bayern have a massive hoodoo over absolutely everyone. So it doesn't always work like that. But, you know, I, I think that the, the the work that Bayern needs to be done isn't going to get done in the next couple of weeks. It's probably going to take a couple of seasons to regenerate that squad. Um, and they're going about it, you know, in a good way. I mean, as you say, Hernandez, great signing. Arp is a good signing. Pavard is a very smart signing. You know, they are. They're, so they But they also need to mix that up with some big-ass signings to come in, big beasts who can come in and start playing straight away. Yep. Yep, I agree. Since you sort of cracked the topic open with your ever-so-subtle pronouncement there, (laughs) we should talk about the title race and how it's going to be sort of set up this season. It, of course, went down to the last 45 minutes of football on the last match day last season. I'm hoping for a rerun uh, of that this season, or or even tighter. We can go down to the last five minutes if we want to. (laughs) Um, Bayern and Dortmund really do seem nailed on to be involved in, in that title race. I am leaning towards your side of things. I actually would put Dortmund as slight favorites to uh, win the title. I just think that they have players who are at the right point in their career to sort of make the next step. Guys like Jaden Sancho and, you know, perhaps, you know, although he's not in the same age range, but, you know, guys like, you know, I think there is still another step for Rafael Guerrero to take in his career if they can hold on to him. I still think that Paco Alcacer, despite the fact that he is older, he has not had a season where he has been the featured striker for a big team before, a guy who's a, a largely a 90-minute man. If he takes to that role well, I think he could score an absolute obscene number of goals. I, I think this is going to be a good year for Dortmund. But there are other teams, other teams, you know, the other two, two other teams who finished in the uh, Champions League places last season. 
who I personally think may have gotten a little bit stronger, they might have a chance to get a word in edgewise. You know, of course, I'm talking about Bayer Nulfir Leverkusen and Rasenballsport Leipzig. Do you think they're a little stronger than last year, or do you think that they uh, may take their lumps? I think there's a good possibility of a three-way title race this season, which I suspect is a bolder prediction than saying that Dortmund could win the title. The idea that there could be, there could be a three-way title race, at least. Are you going to tell us who your third, your third uh, season? Well, I think Rasen Ballsport under Julian Nagelsmann. All right, the Nagelsmann cometh. So far, they've only lost Bruma. They've added to their squad Rasen Ballsport. They've added Lukman and, and Kunu, Hannes Wolf, and of course, Ethan Ampadu. Another two English guys have come in there, so maybe there's a spot of unconscious English bias going on there. Uh, with them. You, you, are you trying to steal Ampadu from Wales? He's Welsh, isn't he? Well, I know he's from England. I beg your pardon. Yeah. I do he's born in yeah. Exeter. Oh, that's right. He is, he is indeed. And I apologize. If my friend Gary is listening, who is a proud Welshman and an Exeter supporter, I've just, I apologize profoundly because he's very proud to see <laughs> Ethan Ampadu um, uh, moving to Razum Balsport. And because I think he feels that he's going to get given some minutes there and, and that'll be good. So apologies to any Welsh fans there. I got a little bit. A little bit, little bit colonial, as is my wont as an Englishman. We do it a lot. Sorry about that. You're living all over me. <laughs> I mean, if if those signings kick on and if Nagelsmann gives them um, an, an additional points bounce uh, this season, uh, as he may well do because he's a he's a he's an outstanding coach, then I really don't see uh, any reason why uh, uh, Basport can't really you know. Pr- make a, a tilt for the title themselves winning it might be something that might be slightly beyond them but I don't believe that it's out of the question at all I mean Rasen Balsport have been in the league long enough now they're mature enough as a as a, as a squad of players and they've got the right setup. I, mean, I guess if they lose Upa Meccano which might well happen that's been talked about over here I don't know how likely that genuinely is and that could that that could scupper things to an extent but I think that there's genuine prospects for Rasenball Sport this season. I do too. I do too. And I, I really do think that there is something to the idea that um, Ilya Nagelsmann is a coach who, you know, looks to be taking the right step at the right time. I mean, he, he really put in his time at Hoffenheim first sort of coming in and, and, and saving them from the drop and then sort of building them into a team that could get into the, into the Champions League. And now he's moving on to a team which is basically just Hoffenheim 2.0. I mean, a, a team that is set up in many of the same ways with a lot of sort of innovative sports management thinking going in and, and you know, even better facilities and even more importantly, more money. I mean, it's interesting to look at the featured signings that they had this summer. You mentioned a few of them already, um, you know, Lukman Ampadu Nkunku and uh, a Brazilian guy named uh, Luan Candido. I mean, other than Ampadu, who is a, is, is a loan, and I don't know if there's a loan fee involved. But, like, all those other players are basically guys who, let's face it, other than very sort of fairly committed football fans, don't really know who they are. I mean, these are guys who have fairly limited first-team experiences at, at, at decent-sized clubs. They spent $18 million on Lookman. They spent 15 on Inkunku. They spent eight on Candido. I mean, obviously, when you're living in the world of the, the Premier League, those, that's chump change. But for the Bundesliga, you know, having a summer where you're, you're spending $40 million on three players, four players who basically none of your supporters have even heard of, that's, that's a very different you know, financial world than, than the one that Nagelsmann was in with Hoffenheim, where they were spending money largely on cast-offs from other Bundesliga clubs who they could get on the real cheap and not you know, players who they were actually competing with others to get. I mean, I, I think that this, the fact that they have only lost Bruma, as you said, and, and you know, we'll see about Upa Meccano, and, and then added a few new pieces who, even if they don't make an impact this season, are going to be probably chips that Leipzig are looking to sell for a combined $100 million in the future. I think that, that Nagelsmann is, is sitting real, real pretty. And I, I would not be surprised, even if he didn't get the job done this season with winning a title, that he, he didn't do it in the next two or three years. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, obviously, they do know Lookman. They had him there a couple of seasons ago. Sure, and sure. Wanted to get him over, so they'll know. But, and obviously, they'll do... I mean, what like, uh, what uh, Rasenballsport fans can, can take some solace from is that, you know, 
or if they don't know these players, then they can be pretty trustworthy that, that they've been heavily scouted. Due diligence has, has been done and they feel that, you know, they're going to be able to play a role in that. And that's something that this club has, you know, has, has made a virtue of. They're not the only club that, that, that works that hard in that area. Hoffenheim, obviously, being another example. There's examples over here in England as well of those kind of clubs that do that. But obviously... It's still the same process. It's still looking at younger, fringish players and bringing them in. But there's just that they're slightly more high profile, those players. They're, they're, they're bigger prospects. Uh, there's more expected of them and they cost a little bit more money as a consequence. But the, the principle remains the same. It, it would be in many respects intriguing if Rasen Balsport did win a title because the model that they've approached, there's a great deal of virtue in it. Obviously, the ownership of the club is deeply, deeply controversial, and and I, 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 I don't call them by their owners. I still insist on calling them by Rasen Balsh. Yes, I've noticed that for that reason. But you can't get round the fact that you know the approach that they're taking is highly effective, and the football that they play is 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 decent to watch. Um, and I mean these are these are inescapable facts. So um, I don't want to be childish about it, but you know that is their name after all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've kind of taken the position ever since they came into the league and I've gotten a chance to watch them play football. I really think everything that they do sort of off the pitch in terms of their ownership structure is not good at all for German football. But I really think just about everything they do on the pitch, the way that they run the sporting side of the club is absolutely exemplary and i think that i I could only hope that you know my club or other sort of you know traditional clubs who you know have have spent a lot of time making a lot of bad decisions in, in both in playing personnel and coaching personnel scouting setup everything just in as much as you can with whatever money you have just do things the way leipzig are doing them it's probably the best you know, club to copy at this point. Um, enough, enough, enough about um, RB Leipzig. Let's talk a little bit about Leverkusen. I don't want to sort of uh, hold a candle to your three-way title race contention. I don't necessarily think that they are in line to win the league this year, but I do think that they should have every reason of of, of staying in the top four. And that is a lot to do with, you know, similar reasons to RB Leipzig. I mean, they're in a different situation in that they already have their coach in place. It's a, it's a, you know, the, it's year two under Peter Bosch, but, you know, the first year uh, of a full preseason where, you know, players get the chance to really learn the ins and outs of his system and, and buy in. I mean, there was an interesting quote in uh, Rafa Honigstein's uh, piece in The Athletic uh, this week where he was interviewing Mario Götze, who made some comments about Peter Bosch and talked about, you know, generally he thought that his system was really good and he liked him, but he said stuff that, like, when you don't have everybody buying into the system, it's not going to work. And, you know, I personally think that all the signs pointed to a lot of buy-in from Leverkusen last season. And... The, the folks who they picked up in the summer, I expect to buy in as well. I mean, they lost Julian Brandt, who, of course, I think is going to be another one of the reasons why, why Dortmund perhaps have, have uh, a pretty bright future this season. But they basically bought, like, the, you know, the creative department from Hoffenheim, which is to say Nadim Amiri and uh, Karim Demirbay. Uh, they picked up Daly Sinkraven from Ajax, who of course knows Bosch and his system from, from the past, as well as uh, Moussa Diaby from, from Paris Saint-Germain. I think that this is, it's hard to replace a guy like Julian Brandt because he is a, a special talent. And I think he had spent enough time with the likes of, of Kai Havertz and Leon Bailey and, and Arangis and the the understanding's not going to be there with these new guys. But I look at the players that they picked up and I look at the system that they play and I feel like they made a lot of smart decisions about um, who they bought. So I think that Leverkusen, is, if they can sort of hit the ground running with the way that they were scything through some teams in the second half of last season, I think that this could be a big year for them too. Yeah, I can't really add too much more uh, to what you said. I, I, I'm certainly not in a position to disagree with you. I think that they're, they're, they look good for a top four. I thought the selling of actually Brandt was a pretty 
smart move because I mean, you've got Havertz and Bailey, I guess, as well. Um, you know, still there at that club, and you know, I think that it's good to you know, it was good for them to be able to say, well, we can make a little bit of money to bring in some other players, you know, and help the new coach with his plan because you know, Peter Bosch, his system. As you say, it requires buy-in from all of the players, and as Mario Goetze pointed out, and uh, you do need to then make those right recruitments. Peter Bosch is is, is a, a bit of a luxury coach in my view, in that he needs to manage at a at a rich club or a well-resourced club that can buy the kind of players that he needs to be able to do what he needs to do. And there's a bit of a knife edge, I think, about his tactics because you know if it does go wrong. If it only takes a small, you know, one or two players to, to, to not be there, then it just falls to pieces completely and becomes a bit of a disaster. Uh, and I think that Leverkusen now have this uncertainty going into this game about this season about just how well those players buy into that system and how well they buy into the coach. And we're going to find out pretty quickly. And if it's worked, it's going to be beautiful. It really is. It's going to be just wonderful but if it doesn't then it's going to be another really really depressing season for Bayer Leverkusen and of course they're Bayer Leverkusen and so a lot of people will be expecting precisely that to happen because you know it's it's BO4. The history is there. <laughs> Let's maybe give yeah. a little bit of attention to some of the other teams who could be in the mix not necessarily for the title but maybe for Champions League football. I'm kind of looking at those teams who finished in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth place last year and I I mean, I guess Gladbach I, I'm looking at as a team who, who I have a fair bit of faith in, in their continued success. I mean, you know, Marco Rosa was certainly uh, a huge success in Salzburg, and there's no reason to think that he can't do uh, as good a job as old uh, Dieter Hecking. And they've, you know, they've, they've also made, made some, some smart moves. But a lot of those other teams who finished in those places, I mean, Wolfsburg haven't a new coach who's making an awfully large step up from the Austrian Bundesliga. Uh, Frankfurt basically <laughs> sold the farm. Uh, you know, their, their, their great attacking triumvirate is, is two-thirds gone and, and may entirely be gone before the season uh, opens up. Uh, Werder Bremen sold Max Kruse or, or lost him anyway. Hoffenheim also decimated between, you know, Nagelsmann, their coach, Joe Linton, Amiri, Demirbay, all sold. I kind of feel like there is an opportunity for there to be a good deal of change in, in that sort of fringe group. And, and, and we may well see some, some new names in the uh, Europa League places, or maybe some of these teams who barely missed out on it, like Hoffenheim or Bremen, if they can turn things around, could get up there. I, I don't know. I mean, who, who's sort of leaps to mind yeah I mean I think that of the losses of those toast teams that you mentioned the one, the one that's lost probably the least is possibly Werder because I think Cruiser is a big loss because he's yeah. just oh, yeah. not only the goals all the goals he scored but also his his presence in the dressing room a full crew however is a smart signing I think for a club like Bremen mm -hmm. I think the, the short move from Hanover to Bremen I think is good and they've got a very good coach in Florian Kohlfeldt I, I think that they may Surprise. Well, it wouldn't be a massive surprise, actually, I guess, if they if they did okay as well, you know, were in the equation this season. Yeah, I, I would agree that, that that team, I think their losses or their sort of transition seems a little bit less, I don't know, tricky than some others, especially the development curve with some of their players, too. I mean, I think that they still have a lot of young players who, if they improve, and there's no reason to think that they won't, could turn that into a, a, a pretty, pretty smart team. Did you know, by the way, you, you you just praise Florian Kofeld, and maybe you're going to like him even better now that I say this. The Bild Zeitung uh, asked all the Bundesliga coaches, uh, as they do every season, who they think is going to win the league. And a lot of them, there was a lot of faff, a lot of teams, you know, players, or, or, or coaches rather, you know, saying things, well, Limit Bayern's very strong. But, and the only coach who simply said, Borussia Dortmund, Florian Kofeld. Really? He just was like, who's going to win the league? Dortmund are going to win the league. I mean, he's clearly a man who knows his own mind, whether he's right or not, is <laughs> another, another thing. Well, I think the biggest potential haymakers of this season could be Hertha. And this is something, I'm not just saying that to ingratiate myself uh, in front of mine host, 
Dave, uh, I mean, they've, I mean, as we know, they've had an injection of investment and they've had the opportunity to bring in some interesting players, and they've had a, a you know a coach change, which I, I think is possibly a you know a, a decent move as well. And so there's a there's a feeling of momentum. I'm one of those uh, people who who, who insist that you know the future could well belong to Hertha uh, if they could get their stadium situation sorted out if they could get funding uh, uh, if if they ever build that airport <laughs> in Brandenburg and Berlin gets proper serious big business come in to that city then the the sponsorship and possibilities increase even more so and there's an opportunity for Hertha to actually make some serious wedge and if they'll run properly uh, really capitalize on that and maybe we're seeing a little bit you know one step closer to that kind of vision if i if i dare call it that you know right now or you know coming up next i think that certainly dodi lukabakio is an exciting player and a good herter signing the kind of player that would flourish gets going to get loads of minutes at herter and he's going to make a big impact in that side um, so, I mean, I don't know whether or not you agree with that, but uh, uh, or if you, I mean, if you you can be objective about that, but um, I think they're one of the teams that can that can fill that gap while you know, as you say, Hoffenheim and and Eintracht, you know, go through a kind of transition this season. Yep, yep. I I am glad that you cracked uh, that topic before I did, so I didn't just seem like a ridiculous homer. But I totally agree. I think that. The only question mark, and it's a very big question mark, to be fair, is, um, you know, how good um, <laughs> Antetovic is going to turn out to be. I mean, it, it's going to be a real weird thing, considering this is a team that sort of a sense began to gather that they were underachieving slightly uh, under Pal Dardai after many years of, of <laughs> feeling like they were overachieving uh, under Pal Dardai. I think it was a very weird sort of transition from one to the other over the course of last season. And, you know, it is totally unknown how good Sovich is going to be. But yeah, I think Luca Bacchio is an amazing signing and it's, it's really the kind of signing they should be trying to, to make, which is to say not going out and spending way too much money on a somewhat unproven prospect or, or a, you know, a South American player. You don't know how he's going to transition into the Bundesliga or Germany for that matter, but basically go out and buy a player who has already played in the Bundesliga for a small club and has shown that he can do the business. And so what? It costs 20 million. That's lots more than Hertha ever paid for anybody, but it seems to me like money well spent. Anyway, I could speak so much more about Hertha and maybe 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 there'll be a maybe there'll be an entire bonus episode uh, about that because you know, I I, I do have opinions. <laughs> but I, I actually have a little bonus snippet for us this week. It is sort of a you know, before all of this went down, before all the investment, before Marco Grujic coming back from Liverpool on loan, before Luca Bacchio was purchased, all of this. Back when things were a little bit more uncertain, Hertha were on, guess what, a U.S. tour which stopped actually in the place where I live, oddly enough, Madison, Wisconsin, where we, you know, we all had a super, super good time watching them play in a tiny little stadium here in Madison against forward Madison FC Go full mango. And I got to meet with some of the folks from Hertha, uh, including Paul Koiter, who is on the uh, executive board of that club. He sort of does a lot of their um, sort of PR and communication strategy, digital strategy, and uh, got to talk to him about how the club was sort of figuring out their way in a world where they're not even on the same map as a lot of the big, big clubs who are visiting the United States in any given summer. And just sort of wanted to ask him, you know, what, what was Hertha doing in Madison, Wisconsin? Well, first of all, like what we're doing is that we're doing our first internationalization trip. Like for, for Bayern or Dortmund, this is like uh, over the years, this became like a normal work uh, patterns for them to, to go abroad and to bring their brand, you know, either to the U.S. or to China or wherever. 
Um, and uh, and for us, we're just we're just starting. We're just getting started. And uh, and for us, we just clearly said we just focus on one key market that is interesting for us, um, where we can bring our brand, where we think we have a perfect fit, also uh, regarding our values, the values of our club. Um, and so uh, and so we, we started off in the U.S. and uh, and uh, and took the opportunity uh, to play an MLS team for the first time uh, in Minneapolis, which is which was great. Um, now moving on because we're we're heading to Chicago. Um, we're, we're stopping in Madison. We're playing for what Madison. We're trying to connect with the people, with the communities, and uh, and then from Chicago we head on to LA. So it's it's kind of a kickoff, an internationalization kickoff of our brand. Yeah, you seem to have gone about this trip in a different way than some other clubs do. Uh, a lot of clubs either try and play only MLS teams or play other European teams, you know, International Champions Cup, that sort of situation. But you've chosen to play what is essentially a third division team. I mean, granted, it's a third division team with mm. a lot of social media fans. Yeah. But like, what made this game attractive to Hertha? Well, you know, honestly, like when you try to connect with people like and you just come in a cocky way and you just uh, trying to tell everyone, oh, look how great we are. We're coming over here and now we're playing Real Madrid. Uh, that's of course that's not our way first of all we're not in the same you know in the same category like the big shots and second of all we think that it's important if you want to if you want to connect with the people and if you really want to you know do that the right way and start it from 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 you know from from the from a from a normal level uh, uh, then it's super important and we're not you know like doesn't matter if it's a third division club or like or, or a first one we're we're playing a friendly anyways right so um, yes we want to show us in the best of ways but uh, but uh, but for a friendly it doesn't matter and it's a postseason trip that's also something that you should consider here it's not a preseason trip of course things would be a little bit different if we would have to prep for the season then we would have to try out guys we would have to be in a different state uh, of, uh, of, uh, of training and and stuff but a postseason trip is like these guys are coming from a long season they're super tired so we just don't want them to get injured and we want them to to uh, to have some fun on the pitch this is obviously thinking longer term and no one's holding you to this but how many times do you have to make do you have to do a tour in you know a, a, an interesting market for you before you really see appreciable traction I mean I, I would hope that there are people in Minnesota and Wisconsin and perhaps in California after you visit there that will become more interested in Hertha, but I, how much more and how many more people? I mean, how many times do you have to come? Very nice. <laughs> how many more times do you have to come before you really start building something? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's probably I mean, the correct I, answer. I, 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 I say, we're we're just. I mean, let's just let's just you know for now. Let's just see what we can do here right now at the moment. What we can do best to connect, to see where this leads us. You know, be on it, be deep in relationships, and then see where that will bring us. I don't know. I don't know how many trips it will need, but we're prepared to do a few more <laughs> before uh, before it pays off in a way um, in the way that you mean. But I think it's you know it's a constant thing. It's like it, actually it's not different from from being home in Berlin. You want to attract people, you need to be constantly like taking care of them, and you need to be you need to connect with them, and you need to do something for the community, and you need to have sportive success, and you need to have core like values. Like, you have a lot of things to do. You only have to be all things to yeah. all people. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you have to you have to do your homework, and that's what we're trying to do here. But I can't tell you. But we're definitely would. I can tell you already. Uh, even though we're only here for three days now, I can tell you we'll be back. All right, that was Paul Coiter from Hertha BSC. He was a, a really good open interview partner, and um, there's much more to that interview, which I will post up on uh, our, our Patreon page. Which you know, of course, if you want to support the podcast financially, you can do that on Patreon slash Talking Foosball. Uh, some of the questions might be a little bit sort of, I don't know, marketing-ish oriented, some uh, less than others. That has partly to do with I'm soon going to be, you know, 
teaching sports marketing at uh, you know University of Wisconsin's School of Journalism and Mass Communication. So I felt like you know picking the brain of a of a guy who's sort of on the front lines of that would be a good thing. But hopefully you'll find it interesting, even if you're not a Hertha fan, just uh, from the perspective of how Bundesliga clubs are are, are selling themselves to a market which you know, in a lot of ways, doesn't know what end is up with this league if it's not Bayern or Dortmund. Anyway, when we come back from a break, we will be talking about uh, some controversial stuff, as well as maybe pick out a few of our, our sort of choice transfers of the summer. Don't go away. So it is part two of Talking Foosball, or maybe it's part three if we count the interview as part two. I think where we really need to go is a story that has been sort of roiling its way through not just German football, but German culture and society this past week, which is some some very offensive and upsetting comments by uh, the Schalke chairman, uh, Clemens Tönnies. This is a guy who has been associated with Schalke for many, many years. He has at various times been more and less present in uh, sort of public life associated with the club. But when you ask people about who who is Schalke, who sort of represents Schalke in an ongoing sense, much more than a coach or a sporting director or someone who's only there for a few years. Clemens Tunis is one of those guys. And he said something to the effect of, I think we should build 20 power plants in, in Africa each year because then it would uh, keep them from making babies when it gets dark or something to that effect. I mean, it was just both a ridiculously like dumb thing to say and a ridiculously racist thing to say. I mean, it just something that it makes you wonder about not only this guy's sort of, you know, inner life and what he feels about people from Africa, but also just his, his judgment. I mean, he said this in a public forum, making a speech to, you know, as it was, it was the, the, Paderborner Tag der Handwerker, which was basically a convention for tradesmen to talk about building trades, to talk about, um, you know, making connections between small businesses and, and hand workers. And he was invited to address this, this group. And the fact that this comment made it into his remarks is almost unbelievable to me and, and reflects so badly on this club I, I don't understand why, because they apparently had a meeting of the, you know, the the honorary board of Schalke uh, on Tuesday. I don't understand why there wasn't an immediate press release after this this meeting that said he's out. I mean, I don't care if this guy's a billionaire and he's, you know, sort of invested a bunch of money in this club. You just don't want to touch this man with a barge pole right now. He's he is, you know, he's not fit for polite society. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it is. Um, astonishing just what some people just feel that they are you know able and free to say uh in a in a in a public space you can't stop people from thinking what they think and believing what they believe and holding odious values but you can certainly you know stop people or 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 or, or, or prevent people from making these kind of oafish and offensive statements in public and feeling that they have the freedom to do so as well, which is extraordinary. Um, and he's been involved in the club since 2001. He's obviously deeply entrenched in the club, and I don't imagine that getting rid of him if he doesn't want to go um, is necessarily the easiest thing to do, although I'm sure the mechanism is there. But I probably think I think I mean more in terms of an, from an emotional point of view. I don't believe, I'm not defending the decision to not immediately sack Clemens Tonys. I'm just looking at it from the point of view of what, what will they be thinking? What will they be thinking? If we get rid of this guy, who are we going to replace him with? What happens next? What happens after us, after he's gone? And all of these things are going to be running through people's heads. And perhaps it's not altogether surprising that you end up with no decision being made at all because you probably can't get enough people to decide to do to do one thing you know i mean yes really i mean clemens tonys should have should have um 
just done the decent thing, really. But given the, if that's a reflection of his attitudes as a human being, then probably doing the decent thing is something that he struggles to do. <laughs> but he should have stepped. He should have stepped down. I mean, he should have. He should have said, "I've been an idiot. I am sorry, and I am resigning <laughs> because I've been an idiot. and I'm sorry." Yeah, and it, it's very upsetting. Not only in that, you know. I mean, everybody knows the background of the world that we're presently living in, um, which is to say a world in which a lot of um, attitudes that, that many of us thought were either on the wane or, or gone among a lot of citizens of, of developed countries turned out to not be gone or even particularly rare uh, as much as we thought they were. And this is not just about America and our messed up politics or right. <laughs> the messed up politics in your country yeah. <laughs> or Germany, but it's it's in a lot, a lot of places. But there's there's a particular dynamic about what Tony's is doing here. And, and in a way, it kind of calls into question his entire participation in football to me, because Let's let, I mean, just taking a step or two back, I mean, Tony is, is, is a billionaire. I mean, he has made an absolute load of cash uh, in his, you know, meatpacking business. And it seems to me that his participation in football and participation in the club that he sort of, I guess, grew up with and, and is in a region where sort of working class life is something that is celebrated and cherished. I feel like this is his way of being a regular guy, you know, being involved with a football club and doing something that's coded as working class, which football, of course, is, especially FC Schalke Nofir. And you know what else is coded as working class? It's being, you know, no filter, anti-PC. I just speak my mind. I say crazy things about people from other countries because, you know, we're all thinking it. We're all thinking it. No, we're not all thinking it. Not even all working class people are thinking it. I don't know why a billionaire would stand up in front of basically what amounts to, you know, small businessmen and tradesmen and think that this message was the message that they were going to want to hear because they're all thinking it too. They all think Africans are just, you know, lazy people who like to make babies like it is offensive that this billionaire thought that this was a way to you know buddy up with the working class i think it's so ugly and it makes me think that it's just to put on his entire his entire participation in football and as you say it it, it illustrates his ignorance of working class people as well we all know there's the, the the image that is portrayed of of working class people, of being undereducated and narrow-minded and prejudiced and racist, and it just simply isn't the case. Um, it's 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 a stereotype, and it's an illustration of how Tunis is is unfamiliar with um, with with his own people in his own community. That that he would think that something like that would would go down well. And he says that what he said doesn't reflect the values of either his values or his clubs, but I'm afraid I just don't... Well, whose values you know, do I, they I, reflect then? I mean, I'm not certain who exactly. I mean, I, I think that if you think something like that is funny or you just think that that, that, that is a laugh, then, then there, is a, there is going to be a part of you that, that deep down sort of like feels that that is acceptable. It's an acceptable opinion to hold and you need to have a look at yourself. And yes, okay, we all... Before we look in the mirror, we all think that we're, you know, appear a certain way and we, uh, you know, act a certain way. And we always like to think of ourselves as acting on our best side. Um, And we don't acknowledge the ugly aspects within us. And then when you get caught out saying, when he gets caught out saying something like that, he's now confronted with, with that aspect of himself. And he says, well, I'm not like that. Because he doesn't have the capacity probably for self-reflection or the ability to be or, or enough self-awareness to say, well, do I have flaws? Am I a flawed human being? And in, in which case, then you, it would be better to say, you know what, that was really bang out of order. I'm not a very I'm clearly not a very nice person. I and, and, and withdraw from public life. And then you can t- you can keep your stinky attitudes to yourself where they're not doing anybody any harm. And then hopefully in time, guys like him will just simply be bred out of the of the gene pool. But I somehow doubt it. So it is depressing. Um, and, I, you know, I don't wish to be massively personal about a guy I've not met. But I mean, really, that is among the most crass statements that you can that you can make. Um, and you've got to be looking for some serious context if you think that you can get away with making a, a joke like that and it not be what it sounds like. Yep. 
Yep, and I th- I feel like even just for the good of this club, and 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 not just in their sort of public image, which has been damaged quite significantly by this, I think, but in terms of of you know feeling like people who would want to work there, whether as players or as coaches or as you know managers, anybody in this in this club, if you know that the big boss is probably a racist. Do you really want to work there? Mm. Do you really think that if it comes down to that club or another club that you're deciding between, that you want to go to the one where you know the big boss is a racist? That's not a place where you want to put your club uh, at at any time. And it also sort of makes one think that any participation that Schalke has had in all the various anti-racist campaigns by the DFL and the DFB, of which there have been many, you know, the proof is now in the pudding, guys. Are you gonna are you gonna actually walk the walk and and you know cut the big boss loose who has said some pretty offensive stuff? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean the, the, we're really the ball is now in the club's court really. And it will be interesting to see how the, the Schalke fans react um, you know, as the season gets underway and whether or not they express an opinion from the from the terraces and elsewhere. Indeed, indeed. Although you know, Tony's he's always he's always cultivating the fans. Sometimes he stands in the uh, the fan block at uh, at uh, the Felton's Arena. So who knows? Who knows? Um, Maybe it might be worth mentioning for balance that whole business with Nobby Dickel and Patrick Ormawiyela, who um, made some pretty crass comments as well uh, during commentary. Which is there's a sickness, isn't there, uh, in our in our Western society, certainly in Germany. Uh, very much over here and everywhere I would suggest as it as you say and um, you know uh, it's emboldening people to make really really oafish and offensive remarks um, and you know stuff where you know I don't know maybe in or maybe maybe it's kind of a good thing because we're, we're getting we're finally getting to see the ugliness and maybe uh, we've been so many people have felt you know that they can't uh, they go oh no I can't say that because it's racist is it we're saying yeah you can't say it because it's the, not the right thing to say <laughs> it's sort of like yeah I can't tell that joke you can't you're not allowed to say that anymore we say well yeah that's that's a good thing though right um well yeah it's so there's a there's a broader conversation i think going on in our society about this kind of stuff yeah and it's not a pleasant one to have unfortunately yeah some unfortunately some people find courtesy decency and empathy to be incredibly burdensome things to live with and uh, well they you know they're too emotional you don't want to allow emotions to get involved in your politics that's what <laughs> i keep hearing an awful lot from all right, that's. Uh, I, I guess that's enough for for that topic. I hope that uh, by the time this podcast comes out, that uh, something has uh, has been said about claimants' journeys. Uh, I guess I guess we'll leave it there. Anyway, let, let, before we wrap up the podcast entirely, Terry, I guess maybe some. This is time for our, our wild cards. Before we go, are, are there any sort of uh, names, either players new to the Bundesliga or coaches moving from one place to another? Anybody who you think is going to sort of hit the ground running in a way that might surprise us? Well, it's funny we'd be just talking about Schalke, but I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm really interested to uh, see how well David Wagner does at Schalke. He made a really big impact in improving some pretty mediocre players at Huddersfield Town immediately. I mean, his impact, he joined mid-season and his, and his impact at Huddersfield Town was immediate and, and indeed it, 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 it was very successful up to a point. Um, if uh, he is able to work a similar mojo with that squad of Schalke players, then that might give them that... Uh, points bounce that they need to maybe become part of the equation maybe you know who knows matt challenge her to bsc for that uh, fifth place europa <laughs> league spot and uh, I, but they i mean they've you know i think they've they've been they've, they've been trying to get some guys off the wage bill but they i mean kabak and roman are a good are good signings there that they've made and i'm interested to see whether or not john joe kenny uh, gets uh, get some minutes as well. The uh, the Englishman uh, who's come over from from Everton. So I mean I think that that's going that going to be. I mean Schalke is always a really interesting story. Whatever happens, because unless they're in the top four, everyone's going. What the hell is going on with Schalke? And they so often are not these days. So it's always a great story. But given how everything just went completely to pieces last season. 
with the coach and the sporting director sort of like following each other out the door and the changes that they then had to make it's a really interesting story so I will be looking at that with with, with tremendous interest as a Dortmund fan I kind of hope they lose but you know nevertheless from an objective point of view it's an interesting story I think that's going to get told there you know as well as anybody despite being a Dortmund fan that um, the Bundesliga is always more fun when when Schalke are either very good or very bad, so <laughs> this is true. you know well, maybe maybe after being very bad they can go back to be being very 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 good. Let's see. I guess for me, I, I can't say Dodi Lukabakio because he's already played in the Bundesliga, despite the fact that his transfer is officially from Watford and not from Dusseldorf. The aforementioned Marco Rosa, I'm very very interested to see what he turns Gladbach into. I mean, Dieter Hecking, he did a pretty good job of of renovating the way that that team played and, and sort of improving the players on hand last season. But I think Marco Rosa, if his reputation up to now is to be believed, uh, it should be a big step up. I don't, they're, they're to me the biggest wild card. I think that they could either challenge for the top four or if things don't go well, could crash and burn. I guess maybe the, the looming um, dreadlock duel between Ethan Ampadu and Kevin Mbabu, you know, at uh, Leipzig and and Wolfsburg, respectively. I think that both of them are going to really cut a swath through the Bundesliga with their, uh, you know, sort of blonde dreadlocks. I think they're going to really... inspire a lot of people a lot of bad wigs in the in the the crowd if if they uh, play well. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just excited for this this Bundesliga season to get going, and I think um, we should probably wrap up the podcast and meet up again next week uh, and talk about the Bundesliga some more because there's always more to talk about. The Bundesliga hasn't even started. There's going to be DFB Pokal the next time we talk. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. It was great to have you back on the podcast. Terry, was it great for you to be here? Yeah, it was great to be back. See, but that, that's exactly what I wanted to hear from you. Uh, you can always follow Terry on Twitter, at Terry DeFellin, and you can subscribe to his essential newsletter like this. You can go to tinyletter.com slash Bundesbag. And if you want to hit me up, you can always go to at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Please do subscribe to this podcast on your podcasting platform of choice. Do leave us a rating. It's a big help. TF Fantasy, everybody. TF Fantasy with James Thorogood and Flo Reinecke is back next week. Get ready to fulfill all your fantasy needs. Do be there. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.